Amen. Lord, it truly is the most divine of all nights. When you were born, when you came to earth, and you paid the price for us that we could not pay. And we just thank you for your love and your grace. And may we never allow Christmas to grow common. May we never take our eyes off of you and put it on the, the season itself. And Father, I pray tonight as we go to your word that you truly would be our teacher. We thank you for your word, that you sent us a love letter that still applies to every one of our lives today, that it's living and breathing. We pray that each one of our hearts would be softened to hear from you. And Lord, again, we lift up those in our body who are homesick right now. Let's pray for your healing touch upon them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Great to have you here. Um, again, keep praying. I know there's a lot of people out sick right now in my own family. My wife's home with my 11-year-old son who's got a 103-degree temperature, and I know it's going around, and, and uh, just be praying for one another. If you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 7. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We've got a whole bunch of them back there. We'll be happy to loan you one for the night. And again, as I say every week, you're, hap- you're more than welcome to please take that home as our gift. If you don't have a Bible at home, please help yourself. All right, well, tonight we're going to look... Now I'm going to say this and you can run out if you need to. We're going to look at the second longest chapter in the Bible. Speak now or forever hold your peace. All right. We're going to look at the second longest chapter in the Bible in Numbers chapter 7. So with that in mind, I'm not going to take a lot of time in review. But I did want to just say that as we get to Numbers, just so an understanding... We, Genesis revealed the sinfulness of man separated from God. Exodus, we saw them being delivered out of bondage in Egypt, a picture of salvation. In Leviticus, we saw a picture of worship and holiness, how man can approach God through the sacrifices. And we come to Numbers, and now it's the organization of the body, the organization of Israel as they wander through the wilderness. And really, I've said the book of Numbers could also be called In the Wilderness, probably a better name for it, while Every word in the Bible is divinely inspired. The titles for the books aren't necessarily. And the reason it's called Numbers is the people are numbered twice, but we see them wandering in the wilderness the entire time. He, t- he gives them organizationally how they are to, to march through the wilderness and how they're to live. And it's interesting that some people think that, you know, they're looking for this latest emotion and, you know, God's got some new thing going on and we've got to be chasing. And the reality is that our God is a God of order. Now, we can have fun and we can have great joy. We should be the happiest people on the planet. But our God is a God of order. And, you know, the Holy Spirit's the gifts are alive today, but done decently and in order. Amen? And that's how we're to live. And so he gave them that instruction as they were marching and as they went through the wilderness. When they encamped, they encamped in the shape of what? A cross. And when the Lord looked down upon them, the reason he had them camped the way he had them camped is he looked down upon the cross as they were encamped. And as they wandered through the wilderness. Now, last week we looked at the move from organization, the last couple weeks actually, and we looked at the move from the organization to purification. That they were to be organized in the way they camped, in the way that they worshipped, in the way that they sacrificed, in the way they moved the tabernacle. But they're also, along with that, to walk in holiness. And two weeks ago we saw the, the law of jealousy when someone had a, a husband or a wife and they would bring them before the tabernacle and God would judge them. And then last week we looked at something very interesting called the Nazarite vow. Nazarite or Nazar is to separate. And it was a vow to be separated to God and separated from the world. And there were three vows that they took or three things that they, they, 
made decisions to do, made vows before God, one was to separate themselves from wine and strong drink. We talked about this last week that, you know, when we're intoxicated, we dumb down or quiet the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Because those two things really are in competition with one another. When we're drinking alcohol and we're getting lit, then we're, our conviction goes away. You know, why do they have singles bars and not singles donut shops? I said that last week, right? Because people have a few beers and hey, you know, they, their inhibitions are gone and there's no conviction anymore and they just go for it. Well, when they were to take a Nazarite vow, they were to say, you know what, my mind's going to be only on you, Lord, and I'm not going to muddy my, muddle my mind, I'm not going to drink alcohol, I'm not going to allow the conviction to go away, Lord, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Second thing was, they were not to allow a razor to cut their hair. If you remember this from last week, they let their hair grow long. And what I pointed out last week, that along with a clear mind, they wanted to be identified with Christ. When they let their hair grow long, people didn't have long hair. And when they let their hair, contrary to the movies you see on TV in the times of the Bible, they didn't have long hair, and they let their hair grow really long, it was a way of letting everybody know that I'm being identified with Christ. I want everybody to know that I'm separated unto Him. And then lastly, we saw that they were not to touch dead bodies. And the application for us is no fellowship with the world. And as believers today, we too should be set apart to God. Remember that there's a, you're justified at salvation just as if you've never sinned. Now we're in the process called what? What's it called? Sanctification, being set apart. We're set apart unto the Lord, but we're in that sanctification process until the day that we will be glorified. And as we're in that process, we become more and more like Him, draw nearer and nearer to Him. And for us to do that, we need to be separated from the world. So we saw that they didn't touch alcohol. They were identified with Christ. May we be identified with Him. May everybody you know know that you're a Christian. You know, it's not a good thing if people find out you're a Christian and they're surprised. That's not good, right? I told you this story that I had a guy, a co-worker, one time told people he was a Christian. And literally, there were two guys that fell on the ground and were grabbing their stomachs because they were laughing so hard. What? You are! And they're laying on the ground. I'm like, that's not a good testimony, Right? That's not good if people fall on the ground and start laughing because you tell them you're a Christian. And we need to be identified with Him. Be outspoken about our faith, but also be identified in the way we love people. And then we're to have no fellowship with the world. Now that doesn't mean that we don't love the world, or we don't encourage the world, or we don't encourage those that are apart from God. But we, we do not have fellowship with it. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. So tonight we're going to look at Numbers chapter 7. And we're moving from purity... And from holiness, and now we're going to look at another one of your, probably your favorite subjects, at least it is mine, and it's giving. Now it's interesting to me that the longest chapter in the Bible, who knows what it is, what is it? Psalm 119. And what is Psalm 119 about? What's the focus on? God's Word. Isn't that interesting? The longest chapter in the Bible, the focus is on God's Word. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.16 says, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So the longest chapter in the Bible, again, while not divinely inspired, the chapter breaks, I believe that it's not by chance or coincidence that you have the longest chapter in the Bible and the focus of it is God's word. Tonight we're going to look at the second longest chapter in the Bible and the focus of it is giving. And I believe that's, that's key in the Word of God, that we need to be people, one, who are in love with His Word, and two, people who give. 
and people who serve and people who lay down our lives. It's contrary to the world. The world is all about take, 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 take. When we apply God's word to our life, it should produce an action. And the action should be a heart to serve and also a heart to give. You know what? I also believe, and I'm going to share from my heart with you guys tonight, I also believe that giving is a sign of spiritual maturity. I I don't believe you can be a spiritually mature believer and be somebody who doesn't give. I don't believe that's possible. Because if you look at God, it says, For God so loved the world that He what? He gave His only begotten Son. And and again, you know me, any of you have been coming here, if you're new here, then you have to take my word for it. I don't talk about giving at all, if it's not in the text. But I believe that we should be people who give. We don't pass an offering here because I believe it is something that could be emphasized in the wrong way. But I also believe that as believers in Christ, it sets a, a set where our mindset where our mind is. It tells us when we give and what we give to. So I titled the message today, Where Your Treasure Is. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you're passionate about is what you will spend your time and what you will emphasize in your life. Let me read something to you. I promise we'll get to the text because I know it's long. Luke chapter 16, don't turn there, I'm just going to read it to you. But I'll tell you where it is so you know that your, your pastor's not making something up. Luke 16 verses 10 through 13 says this. He was faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he was unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? You've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will, you, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I believe that that's one of the biggest struggles for a lot of people today. And it's born out in their actions. I'd love to serve the Lord, but I've got to get a third job because I've got to pay off the ski boat. And you know what happens is, again, not having a, I'm not saying if you have a ski boat, you need to repent or anything, but if, if your possessions possess you, and if you get so passionate about the things of the world that you're of no use to the kingdom of God. And I'll say this, I don't know who ties what in this church. I don't count the ties, I don't know. But I'll tell you one time I do ask. Here's what I ask. When I'm praying about making somebody or putting somebody in a leadership position in our church, then I say, does he give? Does she give? Does their family give? If they don't give, I'm not putting them in a position of leadership in this church. Why? Luke 16. If they're not faithful in the stuff that's passing away, how are you going to give them the things that are eternal to take care of? If they won't be good stewards of the stuff that is temporary, that is chaff, that is meaningless in comparison to eternity, how can you put into their hands the things that are eternal that will outlast this life? And so we're going to see as we go through the text here that the, the Israelites had a lot of problems. But let me tell you what one of them was not. It wasn't giving. They did not have a problem with giving. They made a lot of mistakes as we know, but I'll tell you, Giving is easy when you have an eternal perspective. And Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you have a heart for God, your eyes will be set on eternity. Just remember this. It's all going to burn. It's one of my favorite. I used to say that all the time with my, it's all going to burn. And sometimes it came back to haunt me. Somebody, I had a brand new car one time and someone just, you know, I mean, I had it for weeks. And someone ran a stop sign going 70. Some of you were here when that happened. 
and just tweaked my car. And I wasn't, you know, it's just a car, not a big deal. But it's funny, I get home and my son was I, 10 years old at the time. Johnny said, well, Dad, it's all going to burn. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> look at my brand new, look at my car. There's no license plates on it yet. And it was $29,000 worth of damage. Should have just totaled it. But the reality is, it is all going to burn. And if we have an eternal perspective, then, then it, the treasures of this world are meaningless. And we want to use them for that which will outlast this life. Jim Elliott, one of my favorite guys, most of you know him, is a martyr who was killed by the Alka Indians when he was 29 years old. He said this, A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A man is no fool who gives away stuff that won't last, but puts it towards something that will. And that's what we see them do in this chapter. And again, the ultimate example was God Himself when it says, For God so loved the world. So we're going to see that those who are in leadership give. And it needs to begin with us. You know what? I can honestly tell you that, and it has nothing to do with me, but I can honestly tell you that God put it on my heart at a very young age to give. And you know, I always have, and it's been a blessing. And I don't view it as a have to. I totally view it as a get to and as an act of worship. When I was little, I don't know if my parents remember this, but they used to give me my allowance, and, I, and it was 25 cents, and I used to ask for two dimes and a nickel so I could give some of it at church on Sunday. And I just started doing that, and I taught my children the same way. And can I encourage you parents to teach your kids that? Because if we don't learn giving at a young age where, you know, when someone teaches us later, we won't fully understand. And, and or again, where your treasures, there your heart will be also. It's a blessing to know that we're giving to something that will outlast this life. So we're going to see giving at the, de- at the dedication of the tabernacle, giving at the dedication of the altar, and then what the, when the Lord speaks about the fruit of giving. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at the dedication of the tabernacle. And it says there, Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed it and consecrated it, and all its furnishings, and the altar, and its utensils, so he anointed them, and consecrated them. Now this is going back to Exodus 40, when they set the tabernacle up, and they consecrated it. What does consecrate mean? Set apart to holy use. When you consecrate something, you say, I'm use, this will only be used for holy things. That's it. It's set apart for holy use. So they consecrated the tabernacle, and set it apart for holy use. Remember that the tabernacle was where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt? The cloud was above it by day and the fire by night. And they they, remember when they woke up in the morning, the Levites were in charge of moving the tabernacle. Where was the first place they looked? They looked up to see if the glory had moved. Their eyes were always on God's glory. Their eyes were always seeking His presence. And so we see here that He's consecrating it as unto the Lord, all of its furnishings, and it's being set apart unto God because God's glory was above the mercy seat. Remember, we can only approach Him and draw near to Him through the shed blood of the cross. Now, it's interesting that remember back in Exodus 25, when they built the tabernacle, do you remember what happened? God commanded Moses to go out to the people and say this. They said this simply, those who have a willing heart, here's what we need to build their tabernacle. I want you to go, those who feel led to and have a willing heart, and bring this stuff in. And these are the kinds of things that we need. Gold, silver, bronze, linen, skins, spices, oil, and precious stones. Do you know that those are the most valuable things that existed on the planet at the time? Okay? Still very valuable things today. So they didn't say, we want your old busted up toys, bring them in and put them in the nursery. Right? You know that thing you're going to throw out? If you could bring it down to us, we'd really appreciate it. They said, 
here's the things that we need, and those of you who feel called to give, give. And who remembers what happened? What happened? That's right. Gordon just said it. What happened was, they brought so much stuff. In Exodus 36, Moses comes out and says, Guys, stop bringing stuff. We have too much. You guys have brought so much, we, we can't take any more. And they literally had so much that they couldn't take it. The people were restrained from bringing the material because they had too much. What do you think made them so generous? I'll tell you what I believe it is. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit, but here's what I ultimately believe. Where had they been for 400 years? In bondage. Who brought them out? God had. Who had given them everything that they had? They're just one year, less than a year. They're months away from being in bondage. And all of a sudden now, they're out of bondage. And now everything they have, they know that God gave it to them. Because months earlier, they had nothing. Now all of a sudden, everything they have, they know belongs to God. And so they're just giving back to God what's already His. Hey, six months ago, we were making bricks. And we were having our backs beat on. And we were in bondage. And we're not in bondage anymore. We've been freed. And because of the remembrance of what God had done for them, it was very easy for them to give everything back to Him. Lord, it's all yours. And you know, I believe that's the same thing that happens to us. When we have an eternal perspective, and we realize we've been delivered from the bondage of sin and death, and we're new creations in Christ, guess what? It's real easy to let go of stuff, isn't it? Amen? That's what happened to them, and that's what needs to happen to our hearts. And so we see there that they gave so much out of both appreciation for what God had done and the realization that all they had, everything they had, belonged to Him. They gave freely and willingly for the construction of the tabernacle. And now there was going to be needs for the tabernacle, and look how they respond, verse 2. So they consecrated it, and we don't even see here, doesn't, doesn't mean it didn't happen, we don't see here a call for anything. We just see the tabernacle's been consecrated. We don't see Moses get up and say, hey guys, here's the stuff we need. But look how the leaders respond. And I find it interesting that it's the leaders. Then the leaders of Israel, the head of their their father's houses, who are leaders of the tribes over those who numbered, made an offering. Now, they made an offering. There were how many tribes in Israel? Twelve tribes. So the heads of each of the twelve tribes of Israel got together, made an offering, and we're now going to bring it at the dedication of the tabernacle, so that the tabernacle might function. Now, again, it could be that Moses said something. There's no record of it in the Bible, so I believe this is what happened. I personally believe they saw the need and said, we need to do something about this. I love when that happens. I love when that happens. I love when someone sees a need, and they don't form a They just say, there's a need. I'm going to go bless that person. A lot of you are very good at that. A lot of you very quietly and anonymously, you say, hey, I hear so-and-so can't go, the couples I want to pay for. I hear there's some kids in the youth group that want to go to camp and they can't. You know, I see this need over here, I see this need over here, I want to help. You know, that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. And I believe that's what happens here. They know that the tabernacle has needs, and so out of a free will offering, they responded. Verse 3, and they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen a cart for every two of the leaders, and for each one an ox, and they presented them before the tabernacle. Now it's interesting that they brought the offering before what? What does it say? Before the Lord. Do you know that everything we give, we're giving to the Lord? Amen? Everything we give, we're giving to the Lord. It says in Matthew 25, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. When you give a cup of cold water in His name, 
you're giving to him. Right? And he said, you know, you clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. And they said, Lord, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. So when we feel led by the Lord to go and minister to somebody who's hungry or to minister to somebody who's hurting, we're giving to the Lord. And we need to respond and be faithful to what he's called us to do. Now they brought six covered carts. Now it's interesting that by God's divine leading, they're going to show up with this stuff. And we're going to see here in just a few verses that when they show up, it's going to be exactly what's needed. Where God guides, what? God provides. And it's amazing how when we step out in faith and we're being obedient to the Lord, that God comes through and He provides right on time. You know, He's moving on the heart of those to step out, and then He's moving on the heart of those to provide for those who are stepping out. It's a, it, you know, we're all on the same team, and it's the same Holy Spirit who works upon our hearts. And they had brought previous offerings, but I love the fact that these guys weren't weary and well-doing. They didn't go, well, man, we just gave all those precious stones and stuff. Now they need more? What's up with that place? Instead, they looked and they saw the need and they said, what a blessing that we can give for the tabernacle, that we can give for that place of sacrifice, that we can give that for that place where the Shekinah glory of God dwells. I can't believe that we're so blessed that we get to give to that. They lived in bondage, separated from God, and there was nothing more precious to him, to them than his presence, being encamped in the cross, being led by his presence. And you and I today, the cross of Christ has saved us, and we're led by and filled with the Spirit, like verses 4 and 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. I find it interesting that Moses didn't take it till God told him to. I remember a story, and I don't know all the details exactly right, so please forgive me, okay? This is from my best man. But I know that, that at one point in Calvary Costa Mesa's early years, somebody showed up with a really big check and tried to give it to Chuck. And I don't remember, it was a, like a mammoth check. And Chuck said, you know what? No thanks. And the guy's, what? You know, no, I, I, just, I don't have a piece about it. Keep it. And I think it was like in the millions of dollars. Was it a million? Okay. A lot of money. And it was a newer church at the time, and they could use it. But you know what his heart was? I don't want people to point to that gift that some man gave as the reason why God's doing great things here. I want God to be glorified. And so he didn't take it. And so here's Moses. He waits to hear from the Lord, and then he accepts it. Says, okay, this is from you, God. Okay, we'll take it. If these guys are doing it to puff themselves up to receive the praise from men, don't touch it. But because they're bringing it with the right heart, I want you to take it, and I want you to give it to who? To the Levites. Now remember, what was the Levites' job? What did they do? What did they serve? In the tabernacle. Now why were the Levites called? Real quickly again, remember that it was all the firstborn, and then Moses goes up on the mountain, he comes back down, they're having a huge party, and... Moses says, those of you on the Lord's side come to me, and all of the Levites, every one of them came. And no longer were the firstborn, the ones that were going to serve in the tabernacle, now the Levites were. Why? Because they responded to God's calling. Who does God use? Those who respond to His calling. The Levites responded, and so now they were the ones that were encamped closest to the tabernacle. They were the ones that were closest to God's presence. They were the ones that enjoyed that incredible blessing. So, verse 6, so Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Now, because they responded to God's calling, there was also going to be a need to provide for them to do the work that God had called them to do. 
Now, if you remember, the Levites were broken into three families. Okay, you guys remember this? Gershonites, the Merarites, and the Kohathites. And let's look beginning in verse 7. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service. Now, who remembers? What were the Gershonites called to do? They carried what? Anybody remember? They carried the tents and the linen, okay? And so these carts and these oxen were going to be used, that they were going to pile these linens on top of them, along with carrying them, and they were going to use these carts to bring the linen and to carry it to the next place. They would come out, wake up in the morning, or in the middle of the day, the God's presence starts to move, the cloud starts to move, or the fire starts to move, and they, we got to move. And they get up and they start taking the tents down. They start mounting them on the cart so they can take them to the place where they belong next. Verse 8. And four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their service under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Now the Merarites, if you remember, they were in charge of moving the boards and the hardware and the pillars. So the guys who were carrying the, the linen, how many carts did they get? They got two, right? And how many carts did the guys get who were carrying the hardware and the boards? And they got four. Isn't it amazing how, again, where God guides, God provides, and God will always give us the net things that we need to fulfill the ministry that He's called us to. You know, it's interesting. Some people say, well, you know, I don't have a lot of wagons. I don't have a lot of carts. I don't have a lot of stuff. You know, God couldn't possibly use me because I don't have a lot of stuff. Look at verse 9. But the sons of Kohath, he gave how many carts? None. Because theirs was the service to holy things which they carried on their shoulders. Now you're not going to hear this verse in too many naming and claiming and grabbing and blabbing churches where a guy's wearing a $10,000 suit and a $25,000 watch while he's preaching the Bible. Look who has nothing. The guy's called to carry around the holy stuff. I find that really interesting. I find it interesting that the guys who are called by God to carry the most holy of the things, to carry the ark, they're supposed to carry them on their own shoulders. And they're given no carts and no oxen. I, you know, I like that. I read that today and I went, amen, that's good. Now remember that they're supposed to carry them on their own shoulders, as it says here in the text. It says, theirs was the service of the holy things, and they carried them on their shoulders. What happened when later... The ark was stolen by the Philistines, and then the ark came back, and they put the ark on a cart. You guys remember that? And they tried to move it on the cart, and then one of the oxen or something stumbled, and the cart started to tilt, and the ark started to fall off, and a guy named Uzziah reached out, and what did he do? Touched the ark, and what happened to him? He died. Touched not the glory. What happened? He tried to use man's methods of moving God's will. You know, uh, we got a better plan. Let's use the IBM model. Let's use this model instead of using God's model. And they were called to carry it using the poles. And if, if they were in their flesh, you know, the guys are rolling by with carts, you know, they're walking along carrying stuff on their shoulders or carrying stuff with poles. They're like, wait a minute, right? But the reality is that they were so blessed because God was allowing them to handle the most holy of things. They got to handle the most holy things. But notice again, I believe a picture for those of us who are called by God to lead God's people, that we should be so blessed by carrying the holy things that we're not worried about having carts and oxen. 
And you know, the more cards you have and the more oxen you have, the more that's going to divide your attention away from the things that God's called us to do. But God does provide, and He provided. He brought the oxen and the carts for those who were carrying the other things, but those who handled the most holy of things were to handle them themselves and put them on their shoulders and have that, that intimacy with God. Highest calling, least amount of physical help. I find that interesting. Again, walking in intimacy with the Lord. So at the dedication of the temple, these guys all came and they brought, you know, they, they brought the offerings and it was perfect. Because it was divided among the Levites, it was exactly what they needed. Again, God's ways are perfect. Now we're going to move on to the dedication of the altar. You probably some of you are sitting there going, we're only on verse 10. And there's 89 verses. Well, we're going to move on now and you're going to see a ton of repetition. So I'm really going to be dealing with the next um, seven verses here. And then the rest of the chapter is repetition. Now, to us sometimes, we look at something and we say, man, this is really redundant. I'm going to tell you why God takes the time to write out 89 verses in His Word to cover this. And why He talks about each individual. But we're going to see again that the leaders are going to bring even more offerings. And I love this. Look at verse 10. Now, the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. So when the tabernacle was dedicated, they showed up with the stuff and said, it's all yours. When the tabernacle was being built, they brought so much stuff, they told them to go home. I don't think we've ever seen any televangelists do that. You guys have given way too much. Come on back and take some of this stuff home, right? But the reality is that's what happened. And now here we are one more time. The altar is being consecrated unto the Lord, and they know there's going to be needs. And so what do they do? They just start giving. You know, sign of spiritual maturity, sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Boy, there's a need there. I'm going to go help. I just want to go minister. I want to I take and give to something that's going to outlast this life. Now, the reference there to the altar is both the bronze altar and also the altar of incense. We'll see that in a minute, how we know that's true. So they're going to bring this dedication offering. Again, show the realization of their own need and the need of their people for the sacrifices that will be done upon the altar. Again, giving is given in, in reverence for the work of ministry that is done there. You know, the same thing should be true today. Where should you give? Let me tell you where you should give. You should give where you're being ministered to. Amen? You give to your local church. If your local church is ministering to you, give to your local church. If you're listening to a radio program that is absolutely blessing you, give to it. If you've got a burden for missions and you read up and something really blesses you and Give there. You give to places that are ministering to you and also places where there's fruit. You know, sometimes you hear guys on TV and they say, or on the radio, if we don't get X number of dollars by Friday, then we're going to go off the air. Then go off the air. Right? Because God doesn't need us to beg. Amen? And where God guides, God provides. I've never asked you guys for money and never will. Why? Because if God doesn't want to provide for us, then we're not supposed to be here. And if God wants to provide for us, we don't have to ask people to do it. God's not a beggar. God, God's got a, our God's got a cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? He owns it all. He'll provide for us. It's okay. And there's a peace in that. And you don't have to take, you know, and start, we're going to have giving pledge month and, you know, all that. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to preach the word, love people, and let people give as they feel led, and God will provide for the needs of our church. Amen? 
We're supporting a, a family as missionaries. Ma some of you may know them, uh, Manny and Carrie Olivas. They just went to Montana. And they love their hearts. And we as a church felt led. We prayed about it, the pastors, and we're giving them some money every month to help support them. They're going out to start uh, a discipleship training ground in Montana. And fantastic program. But I loved his heart was, God told me to go, so we're just going to go. And we know God told us to go, so we're just going to go. And we know God will provide. And we heard about it, and I talked to him, and, and so a bunch of churches, and sure enough, God has provided. But I love his heart, is we're going. Because God told us. And since God told us, God will provide. Amen? And too often, we want to get all the ducks in a row, and we want to, we want to see, you know, the five-year plan, and this amount of money in the bank, and then, do you know when we came over here, we had, I don't know, five, eight people, no chairs, no sound system, no music stand, nothing. Okay, but God told us to come, right? All right, well, let's go. And it's awesome to watch God work. You know, the second week we met, guy came up and said, I'd like to buy you guys a sound system. Would that be okay? Uh, the, the Lord told me to. Well, the Lord told you, okay. This is it. We're still using it. Second week. But God, where God guides, God provides. It's awesome to sit back and just watch God provide. Amen? Isn't it great? And so we see you know, the same thing is happening. Now they're moving to the altar, and the altar is going to need, there's going to be things need to be given for them to be able to function. Look at verse 11. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. So the Lord commanded their offerings to be brought in one liter each day. And again, as we go through each individual offering, uh, it may seem redundant, but it's important to God. In Hebrews 6, it says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of which you have shown toward His name. He knows every single gift that you've given. And I think that's the significance be behind Him, and I'm not going to read them all, but that's the significance behind Him mentioning every single one. For the next 76 verses, we're going to see 12 different leaders, and guess what they brought? Every one of them brought the exact same offering. They got together, probably, and God put on their heart what they were to give and what was going to be needed for the tabernacle to function, and they came in one day at a time, and each one that came in brought their offerings before the Lord. And we're going to look at just one of them, and then I'll apply it to the rest of them. So look at verse 12. It says, And one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab, from the tribe of Judah. Now, the tribe of Judah. Why would the tribe of Judah go first? Why? Messiah. Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. And so you're going to notice that who marches first in the, when they march and camp on the cross? Judah. And who is it that brings their offering in first? Judah. Now watch what they bring because there's significance in the offering that they bring. Verse 13. His offering shall be one silver platter, the weight of which is 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. Those of you who are here in Exodus and Leviticus, we looked at all the different offerings and sacrifices. And notice that they brought a silver platter. Now, we know this is being used for the bronze altar. Why? Because everything in the Holy Holies was made out of what? Gold. Gold is a representation of deity, right? So everything that was in the Holy of Holies was made of gold. Silver is a picture of redemption. What was given, what was, what was Jesus sold for or betrayed for? 30 pieces of what? Silver. And silver is a picture of redemption. 
And what happens on that bronze altar, place of judgment? We see the redemptive work of Christ. Now notice they bring a silver platter and a silver bowl. And these things were things that were going to be needed on the altar. They would take this platter, and when they had the wave offering and the heave offering, when they would take portions of it, they would put it on this platter to carry it. And they used this cup because when the animal was sacrificed, they gathered up some of what? Some of its what? Its blood. That later would be sprinkled on the mercy seat, right? And so this cup was used to gather up some of that blood and also to make drink offerings. And so while what they gave was very expensive in a sense and was very valuable, it was also very practical. They gave things that the altar was going to need to function. They came and said, man, I feel led by the Lord, and this is what we're going to give. And they gave things that would be useful for the, for the altar. Now look what else it says there, both of, full of fine flour mixed with oil. Now those of you who are here, we talked about this. Fine flour. Fine means sifted, beaten, pure. That's a picture of whom? Jesus Christ. Again, He was beaten for us, right? Sifted, pure, without leaven, perfect. Okay? And it was mixed with oil. Oil in the Bible is a type or picture of what? The Holy Spirit. Jesus being pure, without leaven, sinless, mixed with oil, a picture, again, of our Savior. And it's a grain offering. Remember that a grain offering was a free will offering that was given out of someone's heart. Verse 14. One gold pan of ten shekels full of incense. Now, where, where would you guess that this item, this utensil, would be used for? What was it used for? What would you think? It's made out of what? So where does it belong? In the Holy of Holies. And where was incense burnt? On the altar of incense. So this utensil was used for the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies, and it was filled with incense. Now, incense was poured out on the altar. Where was the altar of incense? What was it right next to? Right in front of the veil. And when they would burn that incense, it would go right over the veil into the Holy of Holies, right? The mercy seat, where the cherubim, right above it, where the glory of God dwelt. And now, where is Jesus? He's seated where? Right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And this incense was a picture of Christ making that intercession. And so they brought this utensil that would be needed for that altar of incense, just like the things that were needed for the, the bronze altar as well. Now look what they would do. One young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering. Those who remember the different offerings, a burnt offering was sacrificed 100% to the Lord. The other offerings, portions were taken away and were eaten by the priest. We're going to see in a minute that some of them were shared between the one who offered it and the priest who offered it. You know, the one who brought the offering and then the priest who offered it before God. But the burnt offering, 100% of it, every single bit of it, was given to God. Not one piece of it was taken away. Now, why is this significant? It's a picture of the total sacrifice or dedication of our God. Remember that the burnt offering, they would take it and they would offer it unto the Lord and then they would take the carcass and where would they take it? Who remembers? Outside of the city and they would burn it there. Now a picture again of Jesus Christ because they would take the, that burnt offering and put it on the altar. They would tie it down, okay? Four horns, just like the four nail places where Jesus was nailed, right? Three places, hands, feet, and then on top of his head where he bled from all four places. And then they would take that offering 
And then they would take what's left of it, burn the, that, that part of it, sacrifice the fat, the best of it to the Lord, take the rest of the carcass outside the city gate, where Jesus was, we know, crucified outside of the city gate, and then they would burn that unto the Lord. Now, why would they bring a bull and a ram and a lamb? Now, remember this. A bull is a beast of what? A burden. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This speaks of our Savior taking the burdens, our burdens upon Himself. And so we see that they brought a bull, a beast of burden, and upon Him was placed our burdens. That's why His yoke is easy and His burden is light. The second animal they brought was a ram. Remember, there's ram skins that are in the tabernacle, right? But why would they bring a ram? I believe, again, you go back to Genesis chapter 22. Abraham and Isaac, remember what happens? He's carrying the, the wood, and they get up to the place, and he says, we've got the wood and we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And the father turns to the son, and God will provide himself a sacrifice, right? And he goes and he's going to kill his own son, and that's when God stops him and says, now I know you won't withhold anything from me. And he turns, and what does he see caught in the thicket? A ram. And he brings that ram over, and he kills the ram in the place of his son. Again, a picture of Jesus Christ who came and took our place. We deserve to die, and he took our place. And so a bull and a ram, and then what else? A lamb. Who's the lamb of God? Jesus Christ. What did John the Baptist say when Jesus came at the baptism? Right before he was baptized, the first time he saw him, he said, Behold the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So it's interesting to me, you've got a bull and a ram and a lamb, and I believe all of them point directly to Jesus Christ. Obviously, they didn't understand that, but they brought these animals, and it was all part of God's perfect plan. Verse 16. The kid of the goats as a sin offering. Now, the sin offering was a work of atonement. And when they brought a sin offering in, remember they would lay their hands on the, the thing they were, they were going to offer up. Now what's that a picture of? What were they saying? It's a representation of me. I'm identifying myself with this animal, so I'm going to lay my hands on it. And when I lay my hands on it, I'm saying, this is me. This is a representation of me. Now with a goat, it's interesting that if you remember, they would take one goat and they would sacrifice it. But what did they do to the other goat? They confessed their sins over it, and they took it, and what? They let it out into the wilderness. And they would have people stationed every certain amount of yards, and as the thing ran away, they would shout back, you know, passing by, right? And finally, they get to the point where they'd scream out. They couldn't see it anymore. And that's a picture of what happens to our sin. God separates it as far as the east is from the west, and that's where you get the term scapegoat. And they would confess their sins over this goat and and would run away and the sins, in a sense, were taken away with it. The other goat, they would sacrifice again on the altar. They would tie it down. They would shed its blood. All of its blood was spilled right there at the altar. Okay? A picture of what Christ did for us. And so they're making these sacrifices. Again, I believe they don't fully understand. They know it's pointing to the coming Messiah, but they don't fully get it. Verse 17. And the sacrifice of the peace offerings... Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. And this was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amminadab. Now, the last offering was a peace or fellowship offering. It was offered 
to the Lord and then shared as a feast between the priests and the Levites. In this case, these leaders or princes who would celebrate together. Now, isn't it interesting? You have the burnt offering of total dedication, and then you have the sin offering, and then you have the peace offering. Do you think it's by chance that it's in that order? No way. The total dedication of what God did for us, and then the sin offering right behind it. And what does the sin offering do? It restores right relationship between sinful man and holy God. And then you can have that peace or fellowship offering. Without the sin offering, there can be no fellowship. Amen? Without the sin offering, there can be no peace. I also believe this is a picture of heaven. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? And we're going to have a, a huge... Did you know you're going to eat in heaven and there'll be no cholesterol? It's going to be good, right? Amen? You won't have to like, no, I can't have any... No, I'm passing the cheesecake. I'm getting a little fat. You don't have to do that. It's going to be great, right? I mean, and do you notice that Jesus liked to eat on earth? He was eating a lot, right? Every time he was at someone's house, they're having some food, right? It says in Acts chapter 242 that, we're, that the church is continuing four things. Only four things it mentions, right? Fellowship, prayer, the apostles' doctrine, and what? Breaking of bread. Praise the Lord. That's good stuff, right? So we see here that this is a big feast. After the sin offering and after the burnt offering comes this huge feast of celebration. A picture, I believe, again, of heaven. When we're going to be in His presence forever and ever and ever more. What a blessing. Now, I'm going to just give an overview of the rest of the text here because every one of the next people, after Nashon and the tribe of Judah, all the rest of them give the exact same thing day after day. So the first day, Nashon comes in, tribe of Judah. He brings these offerings before the Lord. The offerings are made. They have this huge feast. Then the next day, in comes the next person. So verses 13 through, or 18 through 23, we see Nathanael give, and from the tribe of Issachar, and he brings the exact same things. Verses 24 to 29, we see Eli, Eliab of the tribe of Zebulun. Now, Judah, Issachar, Issachar and Zebulun, what do they have in common? They camp together. They're all brothers, but they camp together, right? Remember that the east side of the tabernacle, all right? The east side of the tabernacle, there were three tribes. And those three tribes were Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Now, I find it interesting that Judah is in the east side. When Jesus comes back, which gate, which gate in Jerusalem? Come, what does it say? The eastern gate. Do you think it's by chance that the tribe of Judah is on the eastern side of the tabernacle? The largest of the tribes, the first tribe mentioned. And so the order they came in was the order that God had called them to encamp. And so we also remember, just by the way of remembrance, I think it's good to remember this. Remember that each one of these, these directions or each one of these groupings had a standard that went in front of them or a flag or a banner. And the banner that went in front of those who were camped headed to the east was the banner of Judah. And the sign for Judah was what? The lion. And they carried this big green flag with a lion on it. Then verses 30 through 35, we see Eliezer of the tribe of Reuben bring the exact same. And again, all these are one day at a time. Taking an entire day, another tribe comes in, brings the exact same things, and God mentions it. Couldn't he have just as easily in this chapter said, and each of the 12 tribes brought these things and done it in 10 verses instead of 90? So why do you think that he mentions every single one of the tribes by name and shows every one of the tribes bringing those things in? 
Again, I believe that it shows that God sees and knows when we give to Him. And it's important to Him when we give to Him. And He's blessed by it. And He's so blessed by it that He takes up all these 89 verses in His Word to make it really clear that while there's 12 different tribes, they all gave individually, and they all approached Him on an individual basis. So after the tribe of Reuben came in verse 36 through 41, the tribe of Simeon, and then in verse 42 through 47, the tribe of Gad. What do Reuben, Simeon, and Gad have in common? They encamped at the south side of the tabernacle. And what was the banner that they held? It was a red flag with the face of a man on it. And I'm going to refresh your memory on why that's significant in a minute. Verses 48 through 53, we see the tribes of Eph- the tribe of Ephraim. Verse 54 through 59, Manasseh, and 60 through 65, Benjamin. Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, what do they have in common? They all camp on the west side. And they have a banner that goes before them. And on that banner is an ox. And then lastly, the tribe of, in verse 66 through 71, the tribe of Dan. 72 to 77, the tribe of Asher. And 78 through 83, the tribe of Naphtali. Now again, they all brought exactly the same thing. Now some of the commentators I read So they believe this speaks in a sense of tithing. How we're called by God, all of us, to give a set amount. Because they all brought the same amount. I'm not so sure I see that, but there's something to point out. But they all brought exactly the same thing. The larger tribe didn't bring more. They all brought the same thing. And they brought it before God. And they were all, they didn't say, well, someone else will pick up the slack. Well, those guys are going to do it. They all felt called. They all were obedient. And they all gave. And so Dan, Asher, and Naphtali were, were encamped on the north side of the tabernacle, and they had a red and white flag with a banner of an eagle. So the four things on the flags was a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. And those of you who are here a few chapters ago, in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10, when it talks about the cherubim, it says, and it also says in Revelation, speaking of the four living creatures, that they had four faces. And their four faces were what? A man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. Do you think that's by chance? No way. So what's that saying? That's saying that not only was the presence of God with them as they encamped, but as they carried those banners before them, it was a picture of the cherubim or the holy, you know, the angels. That the angels were encamped around about them. Do, do you know the Bible says that we entertain angels unaware? You guys remember the story when, when the servant of Elisha was overwhelmed? Do you remember that? The enemy was around him, said, what are we going to do? And he said, Lord, open his eyes. And he looked up on the hill and what did he see? Angels, fiery chariot, chariots behind, behind them, getting ready to whoop up on these guys. And they say, whoa, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so often we look with physical eyes instead of spiritual ones, and encamped with them was not only the presence of Almighty God, and that's plenty, but the cherubim, the angelic host was with them as they went through the wilderness. And as we travel in this temporary tabernacle that we live in, and we're encamped in the cross of Christ. And we're headed to the land of promise. And we're living in this wilderness. We have the presence of God living inside of us and the person of the Holy Spirit. But we also have the angelic host all around us. Isn't that good? It's a spiritual battle that we live in. And too often I think we give the enemy too much credit, but sometimes I believe we need to look more with spiritual eyes. The four Gospels, Matthew, Jesus is re- referred to as what? King. Right? That's the emphasis of Matthew. And... Judah, lion of the tribe of Judah, points again to him being king. In Mark, he's referred to as a suffering servant. The ox is a beast of burden. 
In Luke, Jesus is called the Son of Man. And on Reuben, what did they have on the flag? A man. And then lastly, in John, it refers to Jesus' deity as the Son of God. And again, an eagle is an animal that soars higher than any other. It's the only animal that's eyes are coated that can look directly into the sun and not be blinded. And again, even looking at the angelic host or looking at these banners, you see a picture of the Gospels, the four Gospels encamped in the cross because it's the four Gospels that reveal the truth of the cross to us today. Amen? And so as they're marching through the wilderness, they have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea the significance. They don't even know they're in the shape of a cross in a sense, right? They have no idea what it means. But they're just walking in obedience because God has a plan. And sometimes God calls us to do stuff and we don't get it. We don't understand, but he just says, obey me and trust me. Just do it. Take step one and know that I've got a perfect plan. Trust me. These guys were called to trust him and they did. And God did great things, though they would end up rebelling. Let's look at verse 84. We're almost done. Man, we went quick from verse... Uh, 17 to 84. Wow, that was quick. Okay, verse 84. This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Twelve silver platters, twelve silver bowls, twelve gold pans. Each silver platter weighed 130 shekels and each bowl 70 shekels. And all the silver of the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The twelve gold pans full of incense weighed ten shekels apiece according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the pans weighed 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offering were twelve young bulls, the rams twelve, the male lambs in their first year twelve, and the grain offering and the kids of the goats as sin offering twelve. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of the peace offering were twenty-four bulls, and rams 60, male goats 60, the lambs in the first year 60. This is the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. So God not only sees the individual gifts of each of the tribes, but he also sees all that has been given. And that means that what we give to the Lord and things that are given to us to oversee for the Lord, we need to know that God is keeping track of it. He knows what's been given. And we need to be good stewards of it. He knows everything that he's given me to use for His glory, and He knows what I've done with it. And the same is true of you guys. You know, it's interesting that all this stuff was brought and it was put where? Into the hands of whom? The Levites. Now, you'll notice they didn't go and say, okay, I got, I got some gold here, but let me tell you how you're going to use it. And if you don't want to use it that way, then I'm taking it home. And, you know, there's a, there's a temptation to do that we want to give, but only if we get to say how it's going to be used, like somehow it belongs to us. What we need to realize is that if I write a check to, to a church or to a missions organization or to whoever, I'm going to say, Lord, I've given it to you, and now you watch over it. And they'll answer to you with what they do with it. I'm just going to be faithful. You told me to give. I'm giving it. Now, Lord, it's in their hands. It's between you and them. And, Lord, I've given it in obedience to you. Because I know there's some people that felt bad when you know, they see people that, that end up falling away from God. And they say, man, I gave that ministry. I feel, you know what? Your reward is no less because you gave an obedience to God. Amen? And that person who misused it is going to be accountable to God. Now, we need to use discernment and we need to pray. But if we've given an obedience to the Lord and we've given with the right heart, then it's up to God. God sees all that was given. And He knows what it was given for. And there was going to be accountability for how it was used. But notice that giving cost them something. They gave a lot of stuff. 
But again, they had an eternal perspective. Is there anything better they could use their gold for than using it in the place where the sacrifices were going to be made? Is there any better thing they could do with their animals than to give them to be sacrificed to God? A picture of what would happen on the cross? Is there anything they could do better with their precious stones and precious gems than to give them that they might be made into the breastplate that was needed or be used? There's nothing better because nothing else is going to matter. And so they gave it to that which would outlast their life. And then lastly, verse 89, Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. Who's speaking to Moses? God is. Isn't it interesting that God speaks to Moses when people have been obedient to give, and then God blesses them and speaks directly to them? You know, when we come before the Lord, and we give Him all that we have, and we say, Lord, my life is Yours. Lord, I seek after You. You're first in my life. Do you know that's when we hear clearest from Him? You know, when we're holding back, and we're putting our eyes on other things, and we're seeking after things of this world, and I'm not talking about money right now. I'm talking about just giving your life to Him. Lord, you're my priority. You're first. Nothing else matters but you. You know, it's funny. It wasn't you guys because you're here tonight. Some people wanted to know if we were going to have church on Christmas Eve. Because it's Christmas Eve. Let me think about that for a second. The eve of Jesus' birth, where, what better place to be? Amen? Well, we've got to go to the mall get that last-minute shopping in. Uh, let me think about it. I want to encourage you to come back next week and bring your whole family. We're going to worship the Lord on His birthday. We're going to do a little candlelight thing. I've never, I'm excited about it. And we're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to sing His praises. And I can think of nothing better to do on the eve of His birth than that. How about you? Amen? And too often, we get caught up in everything else and making everything else a priority. We want to hear His voice. Spend time with Him. Seek after Him. Put Him first. People say, God doesn't talk to me. No, you're not listening. Amen? You're as close to God as you want to be. I said that last week. You're as close to God as you want to be. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? You're as close to God as you want to be. You want to be near Him, you draw near to Him. The Bible says He will draw near to us. So in review, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you invest what are you investing in? What do you invest your money in? What do you invest your time in? What is the passion of your life? Is it going to outlast this one? Are you investing in things that are going to pass away or things that will outlast this life? And may we give in response to all that He's given us. Remember again that a man is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You just for the example of how they saw the needs and they gave from their heart. And Father, I pray that we would never give because of contrition or never give because a man twisted our arm behind our back or made us feel guilty. Lord, may we only give out of love for You. May we only give in response to Your love for us. And Lord, as we give, I pray that we would use discernment and we would give in the places where we're ministered to, in the places where there's fruit, and that we would give to things, Lord, that are going to outlast this life. Lord, may we have an eternal perspective. May we keep our eyes on you. And Lord, this coming week, as we are bustling around at Christmas time, may we remember what this season's all about. May it be an opportunity for us to share our faith with people that so desperately need you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.